Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle, and coming up on this week's program, photographer Clyde Butcher has been documenting Florida's natural environment for a quarter century. His exhibition, Big Cypress Swamp and the Western Everglades, is on display at the Orlando Museum of Art. I brought the show up there and delivered it to them, and they looked at it and they said, Did your father do this? Did your grandfather? I said, what do you mean? I said, this stuff doesn't exist today, does it? Marjorie Stoneman Douglas has been called the mother of the Everglades. Jack Davis has written the first comprehensive biography of Douglas called An Everglades Providence. First of all, she lived 108 years. <laughs> so that's a lot of territory to cover. Uh, that's two lifetimes in, in some cases. All that ahead on Florida Frontiers. of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas' prophetic book, The Everglades River of Grass. Photographer Clyde Butcher narrates the orchestral work Voice of the Everglades, a tribute to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Steve Heitzig's work for narrator, orchestra, and recorded manatees is reminiscent of the great American composer Aaron Copland's A Lincoln Portrait. Both pieces are about 15 minutes in length and use dramatic crescendos alternating with softer musical passages for emotional impact. Just as Copeland incorporates the words of Abraham Lincoln in a Lincoln portrait, Heitzig uses excerpts from the classic Marjorie Stoneman Douglas book, The Everglades, River of Grass, in his musical work, Voice of the Everglades. Photographer Clyde Butcher was inducted into the Florida Artists Hall of Fame in 1998, joining luminaries such as playwright Tennessee Williams, sculptor Albin Palaszczuk, painter Beanie Bacchus, and writer Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. Butcher's work is often compared to that of photographer and environmentalist Ansel Adams, who is best known for his black-and-white images of the American West. Florida's natural environment is the subject of Clyde Butcher's photographs, which are also in black-and-white. The main reason we do black-and-white is because of the colors are so vibrant. You can't see the image. 
I ask people a question, would you rather have oxygen or water? I say, well, what do you mean? I'm going to have both. So what black and white does, it makes the oneness of nature. So nothing is more important than anything else. It's all variations of uh, whites, blacks, and grays. So the trees, the flowers, the sky, the water, it's all the same importance. And nature, without the whole system, doesn't work. And I think the black and white brings a um, reflection of that in the work. So you can actually see the landscape. You don't see the color. The exhibition Big Cypress Swamp and the Western Everglades features 40 of Clyde Butcher's black and white photographs. All of Butcher's photographs are strikingly large, some as big as 6 feet by 9 feet. The reason I make them large is so you can't see them. People go, what, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense. Well, you're supposed to stand real close to my pictures. You're supposed to, like a, a seven foot picture, you should be three and a half feet away. That's the same angle as the lens was. And when you stand there, you're in the same perspective the camera was. And what you have to do then is to scan the picture. People don't realize they can only see about four degrees. So if you're, when you're in nature, you're scanning, you're looking around, and you're putting this whole scene of nature together in your mind. And that's the same feeling I want you to get looking at a photograph, is being there. And if you try to see it as a one composition, you're not going to feel like you're there. And I'm trying to put people into that scene. Uh, and a lot of people don't want to get to some of these places. They don't mind the air conditioning, <laughs> you know, nice lights. So it basically it's a way of getting people into the pictures. Is, and then if you have it large, you have to have the detail of the film to get that feeling of, it's, it's a sort of philosophical concept. The amazing detail in Clyde Butcher's photographs is part of what makes them so special. The large format of his work is part of his process for capturing that detail. Well, it's a large format in the way I see. Um, people think a camera can be an artist. The person is the artist, and that's the artistry of me being able to see how people should see the scene is important. Um, I think I got that from being an architect. I mean, because in architecture, <clears throat> you want to try to get people into the building, you want to lead people. Uh, it's, it's kind of the same philosophy I learned when I studied architecture. Clyde Butcher began his career photographing architectural models, but was quickly inspired to document the natural environment. At the same time I was working and studying in school, I also saw Ansel Adams' work up in Yosemite in 1961. And thought, hmm, that's a different idea, photographing nature. I, you know, I'm always into nature. I said, that's kind of fun. I think I'll try it. So I started experimenting with photographing. I, I'd done some when I was younger, but not serious. But after seeing Ansel's work, I started getting serious about it. Capturing the perfect image of Florida's landscape sometimes requires that Butcher wait hours or even days for the right conditions. He's known to stand chest high in water or lay on the ground to get the photograph he wants. The last picture I took is actually in the gallery. It's a five foot by seven foot. It's called the Cigar Orchid Pond. And this is inside the swamp. There was, there was basically three things. Uh, the light had to be right. The resurrection ferns had to be up. And there had to be no wind. I've been working on this scene for about four years. And it's about a two and a half to three hour hike through the swamp to get to this scene. I can't tell you how many times I've been there. And finally, I got the right conditions. 
And it was ended up being, actually it was only about a four minute exposure, it was a quickie. <laughs> One of the problems with long exposures when you're in the swamp, there's mud. If you lean one side, if you were trying to stand perfectly still for four minutes, not even shifting your weight, if you shift your weight in the swamp, it moves the tripod. So when I do those shots, I have to actually lay in the water. So I'm not physically on the mud. So that's kind of interesting. But it's also cooler that way too, because the water is about 80 degrees. And it's 95 degrees outside or 90 degrees. So it's actually a way of keeping cool. <laughs> Much of Clyde Butcher's work has a three-dimensional quality. Clouds, for example, often seem to be floating right out of the photograph toward the viewer. Well, the three dimensions is basically also using the wide-angle lens and being able to walk people back. I mean, I've learned through my, my first wide-angle lens I bought was a Flectagon in, two, in 1960, 20 millimeter. The first wide-angle uh, reflex lens came in the country for an Xacta. So I've been working with wide-angle ever since 1960. So I've learned to work and, and be able to create these spaces. Uh, it's hard to explain, but you have foreground, middle ground, back middle ground. So you're basically using the elements in a photograph to walk people back. And that gives, and then the, the wide angle gives the feeling of being there over your head. Butcher's photographs have empty spaces that seem to invite the viewer to step in and participate in Florida's natural environment. Like this one here. The center of that picture, there's nothing. So you can walk into it. It's not blocking you out. I, I try the best I can to do that. A lot of times that doesn't work because it's a different element composition. But really the successful ones are the ones that actually the center, the center of the picture is nothing. And in most photography you're taught the center of the picture should be the center of interest. And actually it is a center of interest, it's the open space. A video documentary is also part of the exhibition Big Cypress Swamp and the Western Everglades. The film is one of a series of television projects that Clyde Butcher has worked on with producer Elam Soltzfus. I first met Clyde back in 1989. I was part of a crew out of WFSU-TV in Tallahassee, and they wanted to do this project on interesting artists, people in Florida, and it was supposed to be like this uh, pilot program for... PBS and so uh, it was being produced by a friend of mine and she asked me to be the camera person and so this project was funded by the South Florida Water Management District and that's how I met Clyde. Well I'd always been a fan of Ansel Adams uh, since a teenager you know way back and when I saw this work it was like wow I like this, this is like Ansel Adams but more than just the work when Clyde and I started spending some time uh, learning from him. He became my mentor. I always said that uh, Clyde was like a messenger, like Moses, you know, he was trying to tell us something. And I remember going with him out into uh, Pine Island to the bay there early in the morning, the sun was rising, and he, you know, when he gets behind that big camera, he has the dark cloth he pulls over, and it all of a sudden just like hit me like Moses, you know, like parting the water or something okay, listen up, you know, he's, he's trying to tell us something. And so not only does he have a message, but he's become the message. Butcher and Soltzfus's collaborative efforts have expanded beyond their film projects into multimedia events. When we first start out, we were going to do this film on the 12 aquatic preserves of Florida, and Clyde was going to host it, and he was going to do this poster. 
that was it. This is so typical of the way Clyde works. He we get into the project and he says, you know, I think I need to do a book. And so he does this coffee table book. So now we got the film, the book, and the poster. And we get a little farther and he says, you know, I got a great collection of images. I think I want to do a traveling exhibit. I never even knew much about how a museum works. And so he said, uh, maybe they could show the film. I was like, why, why would a museum want a film? So that was my introduction to the museum world, the art world, because mine was only television. And so when the project was done, Clyde gave the traveling museum exhibit to the DEP in Tallahassee. And they manage it and it has toured all across Florida ever since 2002. I mean, that's been a great thing. And it keeps the film alive. The film keeps the exhibit going. The, the book did well. And so you have these ancillary items that help support the film or the film supports the exhibit. And so we just kind of continued that and we did that with the Apalachicola River. And then with the Big Cypress, it became very intentional about how we're going to do this, how we're going to package an event. Butcher says that his collaborations with Stoltzfus on television projects allows him to reach a much wider audience with his messages about the need to protect Florida's natural environment. The first couple of scenes, he didn't want to get in the water. <laughs> and eventually, uh, it didn't take long, and he discovered it's fun hopping in the water. And the gators aren't going to bother you, the snakes aren't going to bother you. You know, uh, the only thing that might bother you is some two-legged stuff. Um, and he has a, a, a real connection to the earth, and I think we, we both do. We have, a, I think, a very uh, similar moral uh, connection to Mother Earth. And it's just been, we've been working one project after another. It's, we've seen all over Florida. The words of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas describe Florida's natural environment, the Everglades in particular, in a dramatic, romantic style. Clyde Butcher shares Douglas's passion for the Everglades. Well, it is a river of grass. People don't understand that the, in the summertime that water's cooking through there. Um, it, it, you think of it as swamp, you think of New Jersey swamp where it's a stagnant place. The Everglades is an absolutely gorgeous, clean water running. Uh, it's, it's for some reason you call it a swamp, I guess, there's some designation, but it's more of a river. And it's, I've been through a lot of places in the United States and, and a little bit around the world, and it's a unique place. I mean, people in Florida don't know what they have here. It's uh, gorgeous. In addition to his photography and television work, Butcher has participated in musical performances celebrating the natural Florida, including Voice of the Everglades, a tribute to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas, composed by Steve Heitzig. Well, we actually did two different symphonies, one in Fort Lauderdale, where the kids wrote the symphony, and during the symphony, uh, we had my photographs being projected over, the, over this orchestra. And then we did the one for Marjorie. We did the same thing as they were playing the shots that Everglades were being projected, and then certain points through the uh, I was describe I was uh, reading from the uh, things about Marjorie and such uh, during the performance, which was a little tricky. Uh, the the guy tells me, "Well, look at they see the musical notes here when this." Oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm not a musician, so I had to put a little red button on the speaker. They say, well, "That red button goes on." I'll start talking. <laughs> So that was, that was a tough one for me because I'm not um, 
a reader. I mean, I wing things. Uh, and for me to try to stay on a script was really tough. She wrote, they are, they have always been one of the unique regions of the earth. Remote, never wholly known. Nothing anywhere else is like them. Their vast glittering openness, wider than the enormous visible roundness of the horizon. The racing free saltness, sweetness of their massive winds. Under the dazzling blue heights of space, it stretches as it always has stretched, in one thick, enormous, curving river of grass. Clyde Butcher has been documenting the natural Florida for 25 years and has seen many changes in that time. I've seen good and bad. I've seen good and bad changes. Uh, Big Cypress has actually gotten better. We've blocked in some of the canals and such where now it's basically rain-fed. Um, Everglades National Park, the cattails are still invading. Um, you know, they were building houses. They want to build a whole new city in the Panther Refuge. Uh, now the city of, uh, the county of Naples and Dade want to build a recreational park right in the middle of Big Cypress, back at the jet port. People just don't want to give up. They want to use up that nice property, make it useful. You know, back in the 1900, conservation meant getting rid of the swamp and putting houses in. And hopefully our definition has changed a little bit since then, but I'm not sure it has. <laughs> Clyde Butcher's photographs document and preserve Florida's natural environment, but he is actively involved in conservation efforts in other ways as well, from visiting congressmen in Washington, D.C. to giving public talks. We started our gallery in 93. And in 1994, we started doing, and Labor Day, we started doing swamp walks. Uh, the first year we did, I think it was 12 or 13 people. Uh, the last major one we did was 1,000. And we talked to a lot of people, and just, I don't know how many people we've taken through the swamp. Um, probably not a lot, maybe 7,000, 8,000 people, maybe. And those people have become ambassadors. When you walk through the Big Cypress and you see how pristine it is and how clean it is and how beautiful it is, those people are telling other people. And I've had a lot of uh, politicians say, you know, there's some reason people are really getting into Big Cypress and Fakahatchee. And I said, that's because they're getting into it physically. And that's how you really get people turned on to a, a, a unknown environment is getting them in touch with it, and that's what we've been doing. Living and working in the Big Cypress Swamp makes Butcher feel more connected to Florida's natural environment. He loves exposing people to the Everglades in person, but is pleased that his photographs introduce others to parts of Florida they may never see otherwise. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm doing shows all over the country with this. I mean, it's not just uh, Florida. Uh, to save the Everglades, we're going to have to have other people in the country want to save it too. Because if you're going to use federal money, there's uh, 100 senators, 400 and some representatives. All those people have to be excited about it. And everybody knows about Yosemite and Yellowstone and that sort of thing. But how many people know about Big Cypress and Everglades? Uh, not a lot. So it's quite a challenge. Uh, like we're going up, I'm going up to Ohio. Do you have a show in Ohio and show in Indiana? Uh, part of it's on the Everglades. Just got one through in Minnesota, uh, in Iowa, 
and uh, Wisconsin. So we're, we're getting the message out more than just Florida. Another noteworthy aspect of Clyde Butcher's photographs is that they do not include people. His images seem to capture a time in Florida before humans arrived to build highways and homes. One of the main reasons I don't put people in the pictures is because if someone there is there, they're taking your space. And I guess that historically, it's you, you, you're wearing a certain kind of clothes that would put a time frame on it. I did a project back in the 80s, uh, late 80s, for the Florida Historical Museum in Tallahassee. Did a whole traveling show for them. I brought the show up there and delivered it to them, and they looked at it and they said, did your father do this, or your grandfather? I said, what do you mean? I said, this stuff doesn't exist today, does it? I said, well, this picture I took two months ago. Really? I mean, people are shocked that Florida is still here. You know, you think about Disney World and Orlando and Miami, and they think it's gone. A lot of Florida is still here. You just have to, it's a little harder to get to. So that's, I think, a really important part about it. It's, it is historical, and without, with people, it would not be historical. Because people are, may not be here after a while. <laughs> they wouldn't be able to see the pictures either. <laughs> the exhibition Clyde Butcher, Big Cypress Swamp, and the Western Everglades is on display at the Orlando Museum of Art through July 25th. Perhaps even in this last hour, in a new relationship, of usefulness and beauty, the vast, magnificent, subtle, and unique region of the Everglades may not be utterly lost. This is Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, on the web at myfloridahistory.org. I'm Ben Broatmarkle. Often referred to as the mother of the Everglades, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas spent the latter part of her long life defending Florida's natural resources. Bill Dudley talks to the author of the first comprehensive biography of a woman who became one of America's environmental icons. We have all these natural beauties and resources and our great problem is to keep them as they are in spite of the tremendous increase of population of people who don't necessarily understand the nature of Florida. She was an environmental activist from age 79 until her last news conference in her front yard when she was 103. University of Florida historian Jack Davis. Shortly after Douglas's death in 1998, Davis began what would prove to be a monumental task. In his new book, An Everglades Providence, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and the American Environmental Century, well over 700 pages were needed to encompass her life and times. First of all, she lived 108 years. <laughs> so that's a lot of territory to cover. 
Uh, that's two lifetimes in, in some cases. And her life remarkably paralleled the busiest years of human interaction with, with the Everglades. So there was that story to tell as well. Marjorie Stoneman was born in Minneapolis in 1890, raised by grandparents in New England. Davis's research has uncovered new details on her short-lived marriage to Kenneth Douglas and her World War I experiences in the Red Cross, mentioned only in a series of short stories she wrote for the Saturday Evening Post. Still, for such an important historical figure, materials on Douglas's early life are remarkably scarce. She didn't leave a great storehouse of personal letters, which I found interesting because most writers compose thousands of letters over their lifetime, and they, and they save them. There were very few. Even as a teenager, Marjorie had wanted to be a writer. She came to Florida in 1915 to work for her father at the newspaper he had co-founded, what would become the Miami Herald. In 1926, she moved into the cottage in Coconut Grove, where she would spend the rest of her life. In the 1940s, she was hired to write a book on the Miami River. I said, oh, you can't do a book about the Miami River. It's not long enough. But... I didn't want to refuse the idea, so I said, but if it's part of a system of rivers, it might be even, you know, the Everglades. And they said, okay, go ahead and write a book about the Everglades. Although her 1947 bestseller, The Everglades, River of Grass, has become one of the most important environmental books ever written, Douglas was not an environmentalist when she published the book. She'd been active all her life, first in women's suffrage, later in civil rights. But after the success of River of Grass, she continued writing novels and nonfiction books. Until 1969, when Washington-based environmental consultant Joe Browder, then a regional director for the National Audubon Society, persuaded the 79-year-old Marjorie to join the fight to stop construction of a giant airport in the heart of what is now the Big Cypress Preserve. Because Marjorie had written the book and was lionized as an artist and an author and a woman who was seen as a truth speaker. She was such an ethical force that the political process wasn't used to dealing with people with that kind of reputation, integrity, and, and fierceness. And she really did make a difference. After stopping the Miami Jetport, her group, the Friends of the Everglades, went on to lobby for restoration of the Kissimmee River and other causes, earning Douglas a reputation for speaking out as well as the enmity of the sugarcane industry, the Army Corps of Engineers, and many others in state and local agencies. She was impatient with officials who betrayed their duty, no doubt about that. She had her targets, but that wasn't her personality, that was her criticism of people who had a broad obligations but were responding to narrow interests. She was a implacable humanitarian, a lifelong learner, re incredibly smart woman with a broad range of knowledge, and somebody with a very keen sense of humor, very witty. People loved her sense of humor. I believe the key to her longevity was she kept her mind active as long as she possibly could. She read books, and then she listened to audiobooks until the end of her life. She continued to write until she went blind, and then she would dictate to her secretary. She kept three secretaries busy, even past age 100. Historian Jack Davis. His book is An Everglades Providence, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas and the American Environmental Century, published by University of Georgia Press. 
I'm Bill Dudley. With funding from the Florida Department of State Division of Cultural Affairs, this report was produced by the Florida Humanities Council. You've been listening to Florida Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society. Please join us again next week, and until then, visit us on the web at myfloridahistory.org, join us on Facebook at Florida Historical Society, and follow us on Twitter at MyFLHistory. Have a great week. I'm Ben Brokemarkle. Frontiers, the weekly radio magazine of the Florida Historical Society, is made possible in part by the Florida Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. It's also made possible in part by the Jesse Ball DuPont Fund and by the Brevard County Board of Commissioners through the Brevard Cultural Alliance, Incorporated.